want to ask you to turn with me to the book of Romans as you're standing. We'll look at the 12th chapter of Romans and also the 11th chapter, but we'll begin uh, in Romans chapter number 12. Again, thank you for all of your kindness to me and my family. Uh, I would be remiss if I did not just mention uh, how grateful that Stacy and I are for uh, our pastoral team here. Uh, as those of you who have been a part of this church know, it is team ministry here at New Life. Uh, certainly, we don't abdicate our role as senior pastor. However, uh, we have a wonderful, wonderful team of people that help and pastor and shepherd and guide and make things happen around here. And then I will also say to all those of you within the congregation that have a shepherding heart, we thank you for your, your pastoral shepherding and thank you. It's, it's good to be a part of the body of Christ. Amen? So good to be a part of the body of Christ, but I deeply appreciate our pastoral team. I also want to say before I read scripture, uh, Pastor Nate, Sister Ashley, of course, they were several uh, from our church that were at our national conference this week, uh, but he is uh, going out. He is aging out as the youth president of the state of Arkansas. He is going the way of all flesh. Uh, within the United Pentecostal Church, there is uh, a policy in place that you cannot, help me, Brother Nate, you cannot be 36, am I right? Past your 36th birthday and be reelected or elected as a youth president. So that'll tell you everything you need to know about Pastor Nate's age right now. Uh, but because he is aging out of that and not able to serve after this next spring of 2023, uh, I'm happy to report he was chosen. Ready for this? He was chosen as the veteran youth president of the year. Wow. Congratulations, old man. Amen. That's of all the youth presidents. Pastor Nate got that honor, and I think that speaks so well of his leadership and his ability, and so we offer our congratulations for that. Did, did you get some sort of trophy or some sort of, yeah? We'll expect to see that right up here at some point, so we can all, we can all, but all kidding aside, I, I, I'm thankful. That, that does show tremendous uh, favor in Brother Nate's life, and we're thankful for he and his family and all of our team. Amen. Romans chapter 12. <clears throat> And verse number two, the music, the worship's been great today. Thank you, Sister Courtney. Thank you, Sister Lindsay. Uh, if you've been a part of, of a church, not just this church, but if you've been a part of a church, perhaps you have heard uh, a preacher, a pastor, somebody uh, preach from the text, at least this verse that I will reference. And so uh, I'm, I'm going to do something I don't normally do. I'm going to read just one portion of an entire text that I will preach from today, but it will be just one verse. And it will perhaps seem a little bit like we're jumping into the middle of a topic, but let it just suffice to serve as a launching point for this message today. Romans chapter 12 and verse number 2, the Apostle Paul writes and says this, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Let me read that one more time, and I'm going to draw your attention to one specific word. Do not be conformed to this world, but be 
transformed. Everybody say transformed. Transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Amen. I want to, I want to just preach on being transformed. Everybody say transformed. You may be seated. Thank you for standing. Thank you along for following along in the scriptures. <clears throat> Romans is perhaps Paul's masterpiece of writing. In fact, this is this is quite common if you study after New Testament theologians and you read after them, you will find that most theologians feel that Paul's writing to the Romans is above anything else that he wrote. Not as far as importance, they're all important, uh, but in a number of ways. It dwarfs, just by volume, all of Paul's other writings. It's kind of like it's this alpine peak that is towering over smaller peaks. Now, it's true that when we look at the book of Romans, not everybody looks at it the same way. People will come at it from a little different angle. Uh, they'll, they'll take a snapshot and they'll see something different in it. And I guess that could be true of all scriptures. And so not everybody that has climbed up the mountain of the book of Romans takes the same path. And some will even disagree about the path that should be taking in dealing with this New Testament book. But what nobody doubts is that we are dealing with, in the book of Romans, a massively substantive book. It is something that has wonderful doctrines embedded within it. It is very, very challenging to our thinking at times. And yet, it offers great spiritual insight. It offers vision through the scripture. Now, I think it's important, and you've heard me say this, those of you that have been a part of this church for a while, that we understand the context of books that are written. Uh, this keeps us from uh, serving the cafeteria style of preaching, that we kind of go down the line and we pick what we like and we kind of mesh it into our thinking and we say, I like that verse, but I don't like that verse. I like this verse and I think this is what this means. But if we understand the context of a book, everybody say the context, then it can give us some insight into what the meaning of that book is. Uh, who wrote the book? To whom did they write? Uh, what were the, the cultural significances at the time? And so when we begin to study the book of Romans, we will find that it was written, this letter, this great volume of words, was written to Christian believers who lived in Rome, the major, major city of Rome. Without doubt, there were both Jewish Christians, those who had converted from Judaism, and also Gentile born-again believers. I want you to notice what Paul does when he begins to write just a few chapters into the book of Romans, in Romans chapter 11. We'll go back from our text just for a few moments. Romans chapter 11 and verse number 7 says it like this. What then? Israel has not obtained what it seeks, but the elect have obtained it, and the rest were blinded. 
Verse 8, just as it is written, which refers to Old Testament scriptures. This is from Deuteronomy 29 and Isaiah chapter 29. God has given them a spirit of stupor, eyes that they should not see and ears that they should not hear to this very day. Would you look down at the 28th verse of the 11th chapter? Concerning the gospel, they, those who were of of Judaism and those that did not embrace Jesus Christ as Messiah. They are enemies for your sake. But concerning the election, they are beloved for the sake of their fathers. For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. For as you were once disobedient to God, yet have now obtained mercy through their disobedience. Even so, these also have now been disobedient that through mercy shown you, they also may obtain mercy. For God has committed them all to disobedience that he might have mercy on all. It's interesting to note that when Paul writes to the church believers in Rome, he draws a distinct parallel between those who were Jewish by birth and never accepted Jesus Christ as Messiah. And he said to them was given a stupor. To them there was a blindness. What was the blindness of those people? It was the blindness to absolutely refuse to believe that Jesus Christ was more than just a Jewish leader, but that he was the Messiah. I'm so thankful that Jesus is more than just a historical footnote. He is more than just the son of Joseph. He's more than just a carpenter's son. But Jesus is God manifest in flesh. He is both God and man. I thank God for the revelation of who Jesus is. I thank God for that. And yet there was an entire group, an entire race of people with very small exceptions who did not come to that conclusion. And as I mentioned, their eyes were blinded. They were given a spirit of stupor or sleepiness about that. And yet Paul says within the context of what seems to be a wholesale refusal of the Messiah being Jesus Christ, there was a remnant. There was a small group of people that stayed and believed and trusted in Jesus as Messiah. Now on the surface we might look at this historically and say well that's just an entire race of people that don't believe Jesus is Messiah and yet it is much deeper than that because according to the writings of the Apostle Paul it was that neglecting of truth that opened up the door for Gentiles. It was that ignoring of Jesus as Messiah that pushed the door open to non-Jews. Let me just make sure we understand this. Every non-Jew in this house, that means you are not Jewish. Let me just make sure we understand this. If it had not been for Jesus and him extending gospel to us and the Lord opening up grace to us, we would not have any hope. We would be people who were miserable outside of covenant, outside of privilege, outside of mercy, outside of favor, and outside of hope. But thank God that when one people said, we don't believe he's Messiah, 
The Lord said, I'm going to look for somebody that will believe that I am more than a man. I am more than a historical footnote. I am the God of all creation. And so through the fall of the Jews, it meant great things to Gentiles. It meant that salvation has come. Let me prove it to you from the Bible. Romans 11 and verse 11. Paul says, I say then, have they stumbled that they should fall? Certainly not. But through their fall, to provoke them to jealousy, salvation has come to the Gentiles. Thank God for that. Thank God that when one person said, I don't believe, he went looking for someone that would believe. And can I just remind us, my disbelief is not going to hijack God's glory train. My lack of belief in the supernatural is not going to keep Jesus from looking for somebody that believes that, that, that he can work miracles. My disbelief in him being the God that will split the eastern skies and come for his church is not going to keep him from looking for a people that will embrace him and love him and serve him and honor him. He's always going to be looking. He's always going to be looking. Paul says it like this in Romans chapter 11. Let me Just look at this word picture with me, would you? Would you go with me in your mind? Just wave at me and say, I'm with you, Pastor. Here we go, Romans 11 and verse number 24. For if you were cut out of the olive tree, which is wild by nature, and were grafted contrary to nature, into a cultivated olive tree. How much more will these, who are natural branches, be grafted into their own olive tree? Now this is what is so cool, pardon the 80s reference. This is what is so cool to me about the word of God. There are analogies that scripture uses that just seem to come alive to me off the pages of the Bible. Paul is writing and he is using this analogy of an olive tree. Now I have to tell you, on the surface when I read Romans chapter 11, I don't naturally and every day think olive trees. I don't. If I lived in the Middle East, that may be a different story. I've been to the Middle East, I've seen olive trees, they're pretty impressive. But in this passage, Paul refers to two different kinds of olive trees. He said there is what's called a wild olive tree. And it is wild by nature. It just does its thing. It grows how it wants to grow. He said, but there's also something called a cultivated olive tree. Did you see that in that scripture? There is a cultivated olive tree. He said, this is the kind of olive tree that has had care given to it. It has had oversight given to it. It is a tree that is not wild. It's not contrary by nature. It might have been contrary at one point, but through care and oversight and tending, it has produced much more than it could all by itself. 
people that, that understand this, people that study things like olive trees, realize that the main difference between a wild olive tree and a cultivated olive tree is bigger and juicier fruit in the cultivated olive tree. And it seems like, according to these wonderful horticulturists, that the whole domesticating of an olive tree requires a great deal of time and many genetic exchanges between the cultivated olive trees in order to materialize into a greater harvest. Do you get this picture right now? He said, you used to be a wild olive tree. Those of you Gentiles who were outside of covenant and had no hope, you are a wild olive tree. Look at someone around you right now and say, congratulations, you're a wild olive tree. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. In our best, we're a wild olive tree. In our best, we are contrary by nature. In our best, the Bible says, we are shapen in sin, and we are born in sin, and we have been subject to sin. But thank God he doesn't leave us in that wild state. He said, let me tell you what's happening right now, Gentile believers in Rome. You used to be a wild olive tree, but he has taken you, and for generations now he's been cultivating the Jewish people. He's been tending for the Jewish people. He's been caring for the Jewish people. They were wild by nature, but you see for generations what happens when the God of glory oversees a people, cares for a people, cultivates a people, gives favor to a people, gives oversight to a people. They're favored. They're, they're provided for. They're rich. They're beyond every other nation. They've got a name attached to them. They're a glorious and prosperous people. You didn't have any part in that, but God, through his mercy, have reached over to you as a wild olive tree, and he is grafting you into the cultivated tree. You didn't do anything to deserve it. You didn't do anything to warrant it, but he, through his mercy, and he, through his grace, have taken you that is contrary and grafted you into the tree. Whoo! Come on, honey, there ought to be a Gentile praise in this house that says, Lord, thank you that you put me in the cultivated tree. Thank you that you grafted me into the tree. Come on, I didn't deserve it. I did, is there anybody in this house, when you survey your life, you realize I didn't deserve the mercy of God. I didn't deserve the goodness of God. He picked me up when I had nothing to offer him. But by his mercy and by his grace, I have been grafted in, grafted in. And so now I am growing as a part of the tree. I look over this congregation, I see some smiles on faces right now because you know what it felt like when you were a wild olive tree. Just living like you wanted to, living to your own desires, and yet it doesn't mean that we're perfect. Hey, if you're looking for a perfect church, you can go ahead and leave now. It doesn't exist here at New Life. We're not perfect, but we are grafted in. Uh, we haven't made it to heaven yet, but we are grafted in. 
We haven't been perfected yet, but we are grafted in. It's by his mercy. It's by his grace. It's by his goodness. It's by his favor. Come on, grow, baby, grow. Grow grafted in. You, you might feel like out of place and I'm kind of getting used to this new tree that I'm a part of. Just grow, baby, grow. We're going to give you room to grow. We're going to let growth happen in your life. We're going to come alongside you as our great God does and help you and, and, and favor you and, and position you for growth. Thank God I'm cultivated. <laughs> Woo! Somebody needs at lunch today. You need to look at someone across the prime rib and say, you're cultivated, baby. You're cultivated. <laughs> Praise God. And so before Paul teaches how to live, he gives the recipe for getting to how to live. See, it's not just waking up one morning and a spiritual lottery happens and, oh, I'm a child of God. I got this all figured out. That's not how this thing works. And so let me show you from the Bible how it works. You ready? Just nudge your neighbor and say, listen up. Romans chapter 11. You ready? <laughs> Every response to God should begin with a recognition of the depth of his riches to us. I'm going to say that again. Every response to God must begin with a recognition of the depth of his riches toward us. So let's look at it. Romans 11, verse 33. Oh! I love verses that start with O-H. Oh, because you can't say that. You can't just say, oh. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. And then Paul quotes from the Old Testament prophet Isaiah, for who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has become his counselor? Or who has first given to him and it shall be repaid to him? And then it's almost like he can't handle it anymore. He says in verse 36, for of him and through him and to him are all things. To whom be glory forever. Amen. Now, don't worry, we're going to get to how to live here in just a minute. But Paul says, before you decide how you're going to live, you've got to first recognize how great his blessings are to you, how unsearchable his blessings are to you, the depth of his blessings in our lives. For of him and through him and to him are all things to whom be glory forever. Amen. Look at the next verse, Romans 12 and verse number 1. Can you put it on the screen? I beseech you, therefore. Now, I have said this numerous times in 23 years of pastoring this church. When you see the word therefore in the Bible, it is there for a reason. 
If you're new to the scriptures, do not pass over that word. Don't just let it think, oh, that's a King James way of saying it. No, when Paul says, I beseech you, that means begging. I beg you, therefore. The word therefore means we ought to stop, go back, and see what he just said. He's fixing to tell us. That's a good southern way of saying it. He's fixing to tell us. Paul's fixing to tell us how to live. But he said, before I tell you all this over here, I beg you, do it in response to what I just said, that his riches are great and his mercy is everlasting and his grace is sufficient for us. Let everything you do in your walk with God be out of a response of how great God has been to us. This keeps us from living out of duty and legalism. We live out of a thanksgiving for the blessings of God. We've been grafted into the tree. We are recipients of God's mercy. Amen. So every response in living for God begins with a recognition of the depth of his riches. I beg you, therefore. What is he begging for us? Can we keep that on the screen? By the mercies of God. There it is. Here's what I'm, what I'm going to ask of you, Romans, believers. You can only accomplish by God's mercy, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God. You know what the problem is with a living sacrifice? The sacrifice always wants to jump down off the altar. Because it's a living. You ever try to put clothes on your dog? That was the anointing. It just came to me. I don't even have that in my notes. You know what the problem is? The dog's alive. The dog doesn't want that little tutu on. Sacrifice wants to jump down off the altar. And Paul says, but I beg you, by the mercies of God, present your body to God. What is, the, what is he speaking of here? He's speaking of a set-apartness in a way which pleases God. According to the scripture, it's acceptable to God. See, my greatest desire is to be acceptable to him. What he says, what his word says, that's what I'm ultimately accountable to. And so the presenting of my life, my body, is my responsibility. Everybody say, it's my responsibility. It's not your pastor's responsibility for you. It's not your husband's responsibility for, for the wife. It is our responsibility to present our bodies a living sacrifice that is acceptable to God. And by the way, just so we make sure we're clear on this, Paul says, this is just reasonable. Just reasonable. I don't get extra credit. Oh, Brother Gaddy, you know what God's asking me to do? No, come on, honey. It's reasonable, Paul says. This is your reasonable service. Say amen or oh me, one of the two. Amen. 
Then he says this, verse 2, Romans 12. Do not be conformed to this world. A couple words I want to point out here. First is the word conformed. Everybody say conformed. You study out this word, it literally means to be pressed into a mold. To be pressed into a mold. And Paul says to believers, to born-again believers, do not be pressed into the mold. What kind of mold? Do not be conformed to this world. Second word I want to point out is the word world. The word world there is a Greek word. It means cosmos, and it refers to the age. He's not talking about the planet. He's not talking about the globe. He's talking about the, the age in which you live. The culture, the spirit of the age in which you live. And Paul says, do not be pressed into the mold of the age in which you live. There is such an onslaught against the church right now. There is such a, a war going on in the, in the spirit world that wants to ridicule the church and wants to resign the church over to a narrow, ultra-conservative group of people that are out of touch with this world. Can I tell us today, the longer this world goes on, the more out of touch our belief will become in this age. Because we are living, hopefully living by a book that never changes. And a, a gospel that is the same today as it was yesterday. And for, we, we must live in such a way that is not pressed into the cultural expediency of our day. Folks, I, none of us are, are, are not aware of this. Definitions are changing. Ideas are changing. Cultural norms that have been held for years and years are totally flipped upside down. But this is why right now, born-again believers must be refused to be pressed into that mold. Got to get some backbone. Look at someone and say, you got to have some backbone. Amen. But now, it would be one thing for me to preach that and just hammer down on that. And so I'm, I'm putting the hammer back in the tool belt now. And if it was just us, up to us to grit it out and just, I'm going to fight against the world and fight against worldliness and fight against carnality, uh, uh, we would leave the most frustrated group of people. Because after a while, the battle gets weary. But Paul doesn't leave them there. He says, don't be conformed to the world. Here we go. But be transformed. Everybody see, say transformed. And I'm going to win some friends with all of our kids right now. When I was a kid, we had transformers. That's when transformers, way, way back in Noah's day, first came out. I, I, there's, some, there's some kiddos in this room right now. I say transformers. They may not have heard one thing pastor preach, but they are locked in right now. In fact, I remember when I was a kid, Transformers had a commercial. Transformers, more than meets the eye. Transformers, robots in disguise. I can't believe I remember that. There's some mamas on Amazon right now, so I'm getting one of those for my kids. <laughs> Christmas is coming. Fill the stockings up with that. Here's the thing about Transformers. When I was a kid, it was so cool because they started out as a truck. 
but through like a metamorphosis, twisting and turning, then you got this robot standing there. And then you could twist and turn it. And it was a truck again. It was something that it wasn't at first. Now, forgive that cultural example right there. But Paul says, here's the key to not be pressed into the mold of the spirit of the age. You've got to be transformed. You cannot stay in the form in which he found you. And he said, but be transformed, watch this now, by the renewing of your mind. Transformation starts in our mind. It starts how we think. It starts right here in the gray matter between our ears. Transformation begins by letting our minds be renewed by the power of the Holy Ghost. This is why it is possible when the Holy Ghost touches our mind and we yield to that, we can absolutely change form. We're not thinking the same way. We're not acting the same way. It's as though something has changed in form in our lives. I'm not like I used to be. Come on, honey, this is more than a feeling and this is more than an emotion. But when our minds are renewed, when our minds are transformed, it changes us from one form to another form. It changes how we think and how we conduct ourselves. Change and transformation begins in our mind. I'm just going to tell you right now how I'm going to close this service. i got about five more minutes, I think, of preaching to do, but I'm going to tell you how we're going to close this service. We're going to pray that God will touch our minds. We're going to pray that God will renew our minds to start thinking through God's lens and start thinking the way God intends us to think. See, there's a principle embedded here in Romans 12, and it's this. When God changes us, he transforms let me say it again. When God changes us, he transforms. This debunks the idea that coming to Jesus is just a nice add-on to our life. And let me just tell you something. Those of you that are checking out the gospel, checking out the church, checking out Jesus, I'm not going to sell them too short for you here today. When he wants our life, he doesn't want to just be a nice add-on to our life. He wants to transform our life. He wants to change the form of our life. He wants to change our thinking. And I'm not going to sell him short today. Uh, we can come as we are, but he doesn't want to leave us like we are. We must be transformed. We must be transformed. Now, uh, as I close today, I think it's important that we look at a scriptural example of transformation taking place. And what was the, what the surroundings behind that? Because maybe it'll give us a little bit of insight into what happens when we're transformed. Matthew chapter number 17, Jesus is on a mountain. And some Bibles have as a little heading over this, the Mount of Transfiguration. Other Bibles will simply say, the Mount of Transformation. It's a mountain of change. And Jesus is up there with his closest disciples. And the Bible says that while he is on the mountain with Peter, James, and John, that several things happened. The first thing is they saw this transfiguring or this transformation of Jesus Christ before their eyes. See, because it's 
proof positive that when transformation takes place, you will see things differently. How many of you, when, when, when Jesus really transformed your life, you saw the church differently? You saw your need for the church differently. You saw other believers differently. Isn't it amazing that the ones that, that Saul was wanting to kill in Acts chapter 8 and 9 are the ones he started hanging with after he was transformed? It's amazing to me. You'll see things differently when transformation takes place. Secondly, the Bible gives us proof that they saw things from the past differently. They start referring to Old Testament prophets and Old Testament figures. And they, they start connecting things together from the past. Peter, James, John on the mountain of transformation. When transformation takes place, we will see things from the past. And things will start to click together and, and lock together in ways that we never saw it before. We see how this relationship affected that relationship and how God was working in our lives in that scenario when we didn't even see him working. And things begin to, we, we, we see the past differently. And then Peter, the wonderful, impetuous, vocal, verbose Peter, on the Mount of Transformation, looks at Jesus and he says this. It's just tremendous. He says what we all probably want to say. This, this glory is swirling on the mountain and all this. Peter says, Lord, it is good for us to be here. Is that like the most obvious statement in all the world? Lord, it is good for us to be here. So transformation shows us how good things are right now. This is why I'm asking God to touch our minds today. Because even in our most difficult scenario that some are in this place right now with, we're still blessed. And if God can transform our thinking today and, and we can transform how we view things, we're going to see the present. We're not just going to see the, the past differently. We're going to see the present through different eyes. And then finally, the Bible says that all of them heard the voice of Almighty God. When we are transformed, we will truly hear God speaking to us. I beseech you, therefore, by the mercies of God, present your bodies a living sacrifice. Do not be conformed, pressed into the spirit of the age, but be transformed by the renewing I think it's wonderful to note that Paul says when you do this, when you allow transformation to take place, you're going to be able to determine God's will for our lives. Let me just say this and, and, and then I'll have you stand. Perhaps in this room, and I think probably without question, there are people at transitional times and needing to make decisions. Don't make a permanent decision with a mind that has not been transformed. Do not make a decision. Can you hear this, Pastor? Don't make a permanent decision out of what's popular, what other people say you should do, what feels right, just in your emotions, money, what the people throw at you. Please don't make a decision like that. 
Because according to what Paul teaches, if I'm going to know what the good, acceptable, perfect will of God is, I have to be transformed in my mind. I have to let the Holy Ghost change my thinking because then I start thinking with his priorities, his direction, and his, his guidance. Does that make sense to everybody? Why don't you stand with me if you would. Transformed. God, touch my mind. Touch my mind. Amen. See, the battleground, brothers and sisters, friends, is right here. The battleground for victory is right here. The battleground for victory is not a series of events that will produce something. The battleground for victory is right here. The battleground for victory in Job's life is right here. He could be sitting in sackcloth and ashes and say, I will not charge God foolishly. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Paul can be sitting in a prison, shackled, and say, you know what I'm going to use this time for? Not to cry about it, but to write letters of encouragement to churches and people. That's a transformed mind. That's a mind that thinks differently, is formed differently. It's just, we got to have that. I got to have that. I, I wish you would, you would come. I wish from all over the sanctuary, just as a time of consecrating prayer, I wish you'd step out from where you are and just press in as close as you can. We're going to present ourselves to God today. Praise God. Transformed. Transformed. Praise the Lord. <laughs> you know, there's a, there's a principle. There's not a principle. It's actually a doctrine in the scripture called the doctrine of the laying on of hands. And it's a doctrine of scripture. The Bible literally says that. It's a doctrine of laying on of hands. That's why when we pray for people uh, for, for physical needs, we, we lay our hands upon people. Like literally lay our hands upon people because the Bible teaches that. And I can give you all sorts of scriptures on that. But when it comes to praying for our mind, I don't know, I get this visual, and you'll have to forgive me if this is kind of a weird visual, but if I'm laying, on my, laying my hands on the need for a transformed mind, Brother David, I got my hands all over my head. Like, I want as many hands on that head. Why? Because I don't know if you're like me, but this thing can get me in some trouble. Is there anybody here you're tired of thinking crazy thoughts? I'm talking thoughts that, like, have you way down the road. Oh, wow, I felt a real witness when I said that right there. Like, like thoughts that you, you wouldn't dare tell your spouse. I'm not talking about thoughts about them. But you wouldn't even, well, maybe about them. Ooh, pastor's going to meddling now. Is there a witness in it? Do you know what it is? To think a thought. And it's kind of like scrolling on the internet. You start off looking for what the high is going to be in the weather tomorrow. And by the time you're done, you didn't know that Hollywood marriage was not still together. 
and you done forgot what you were looking for. Until the next morning when you wake up and thought, I wonder how I should dress today. And you don't realize. It just went all over the place. That's the way our minds can be. But that's why we need to lay hands on our mind today and say, Lord, I need a renewed mind this morning. I need a renewed thinking this morning, Lord. I need to be transformed, and it starts right here in my thinking, Lord. I need the Holy Ghost to touch my mind right now. I need the Holy Ghost to touch my thinking right now. I don't want to get thinking that goes all over the place, but I want it to be governed by the Spirit of the living God. Come on, New Life Church. Come on, everybody watching online right now. Put your hand on your head and say, God, transform my mind right now. Renew my mind right now, Lord Jesus. Let me live for you. Let me be a living sacrifice, Lord. Touch my mind. Touch my thinking, Lord. Come on, if you've not been baptized in water, be transformed through the power of water baptism. If you've not been filled with the Holy Ghost, let's pray till you're filled with the Holy Ghost today. Come on, be transformed by the renewing of our mind, the renewing of our thinking. Come on, that's it. I feel like we're stepping on holy ground right now. Somebody is crying out to Jesus. Somebody's crying out to the Lord right now. Touch my thinking, Lord. Touch my, bring my thinking under subjection, oh Lord. Let me think your thoughts and your ideas and your truth, Lord Jesus. Oh, come on, that's it. That's it. Submit your thinking to the Word of God. Submit your mind to the Holy Spirit right now. Touch my mind, God. Touch my mind, Jesus. Come on, that's it. That's it. That's it. Come on, God. God, I realize how great you've been to me. I realize how merciful you've been to me, Lord. I realize how full of grace you've, you've shown me over and over again, God. It's of him and through him and to him. It's all things, all things, all things are of you, Lord. Transform, 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 transform. Hallelujah.